0: Welcome to Our Tribe, the podcast that sits down with Jewish professionals and entrepreneurs to hear their stories, share their advice, and bear their Jewish souls. Now here's your host, Rabbi Tuvia Kopstein. Welcome back to Our Tribe, the podcast. This is Rabbi Tuvia Kopstein. In this episode, we have the pleasure of sitting down with Moshe Grunhut. Moshe is an insurance agent for New York Life. And if you think this is going to be a boring conversation, you are in for surprise because Moshe has very creatively built himself a community of trust and a career where people are reaching out to him based on his creative strategy of LinkedIn posting. Now, I have to read a disclaimer, and that is that this recording was prepared or accomplished by Moshe Grunhut in his personal capacity. The opinions expressed in this recording are his own and do not reflect the views of New York Life Insurance Company, its affiliates, or its employees. Without further ado, Our Tribe, the podcast with Moshe Grunhut. Welcome back to Our Tribe, the podcast. We have the pleasure of sitting down today with Moshe Grunhut of New York City. Welcome, Moshe.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: How are you? I'm correct. You're in New York City, right?
1: Yes, Brooklyn, New York.
0: Brooklyn, New York. Okay, we're doing great. Thank you so much for having us. And uh, so Moshe, you are a you are a life insurance agent, and probably much more than that. You have a very unique approach, um, or you've discovered in your career a very unique approach to networking and uh, and getting your name out there. And I'd love to hear your story, how you got to what you're doing today. Go ahead.
1: Okay, so there's two parts to that. There's the life insurance part, and then the other part, which. I'm assuming you're talking about the LinkedIn aspect. Um, so I started about two years ago. Um, I started selling life insurance. I did not plan on going into the industry. It wasn't something that I really grew up wanting to be. Not I don't know if there's anyone that grows up wanting to be a life insurance salesman. Uh, but it, I saw it, like a listing for it, and I fell in love with the idea of of, of, you know, helping families take care of this aspect of their lives. And when I started, I realized I don't want to be the stereotypical life insurance salesman in the way that many will push for meetings, push for sales, uh, and be the person that people don't want to talk to necessarily. So I tried finding ways to just spread my name around. That's what I wanted to do. Just wanted to get as many people as possible to know what I do so that if they ever want to talk about it, they know who to talk to. And the natural thing was to create a LinkedIn profile. And then once I got on there, I started observing a little and seeing what people do. And I was like, oh, I can do this. And so I started doing it a little, playing around, engaging a little, posting a little, and it slowly grew into what it, what it is today
0: what what is it today exactly like t- tell us about how <laughs> tell us tell us where you are today what what you are accomplishing on on LinkedIn with getting your name out and
1: so from a business perspective it's really it is most of my business uh, that's all the prospecting I really do, so while many people will spend many hours a day trying to find new people, cold calling warm calling referral you know, requests and those kinds of things. I use LinkedIn instead of all of that. And so by being active on there for a nice amount of time, I get, I get enough business from there to really warrant the, the time that I spend on there.
0: Hmm. How, many, how much time a day do you think you're spending on LinkedIn?
1: Uh, it could be up to a couple of hours. Um, between posting, engaging with my own posts, engaging with other people's posts, messaging people, which is a big part of it as well. Um, so, you know, a couple hours a day, I use it as filler a lot. So if in between meetings and in between other things, I'll just hop on there and catch up on my notifications and my messages. And it it's productive. So it's not just scrolling through social media. Every time I'm on there, there's more reach for me. So there's more potential for potential clients. Uh-huh.
0: So what is it, how do you use, what's the secret sauce? How do you use this platform to go from being the guy that people don't want to talk to to being the guy that people do want to talk to?
1: The secret sauce is very cliche. It's just building relationships. Um, I, I tell, whenever I have this conversation with people, I tell them this. I say, you are much more likely right now to engage with my post than you were 10 minutes ago because we have more of a connection. So it's not about the post, it's about us. The more you get to know someone, the more likely they are to interact with you. So by building more relationships over time, there are more people who want to interact with your content. And that doesn't have to mean the content is so great. It's not not about that. It's about people wanting to read my stuff.
0: And they want, they only want to read, but what you have the chicken the egg uh, phenomenon here they they only want to read your stuff because they they saw something in your stuff that they liked not, so because not necessarily I you, right? not
1: necessarily because you 'll see there's a lot of people who have a lot better content than I do, but they lose people left and right because they don 't engage back or they never built any form of relationship i 'm not saying you have to build a relationship with everyone you meet, but you keep an audience by by having a connection there. And that's, I, I believe that's what has been my secret sauce, so to speak.
0: Okay. So, and in terms of, in terms of selling life insurance, how do you know if somebody is in the market? You're reaching out, you, you have a connection with lots of people and um, there's some people that are responding and some people that aren't. You, how do you know um, who to?
1: So that's really where I've been different where I don't actively reach out to people about life insurance. I'll reach out about LinkedIn. I'll reach out about anything else. I will not ask people, do you want to talk about life insurance? Do you need life insurance? Or anything like that. You know, thank God people, it it has come to a point where when people need life insurance, I'm the person they think of. There are many people on, on LinkedIn specifically that think that way. And that's what I wanted. And so someone goes to their, parents for the holidays and the conversation comes up and the parents are like you don't have life insurance how they go oh shoot I got to talk to Moshe Grunhot," and that's what I wanted and there's a lot of different variations of how that can happen but that's that's what I wanted to create and that's how it's been I don't actively reach out to people to ask them
0: mm-hmm. that's so is this, and this approach is getting you um, a steady, I mean, I know in, in sales, things aren't steady. Things, you know, like, like I've seen your post some days, uh, nothing's happening and other days you're, you're packed. That's just how it goes. But it's, but in, in, if you look at the big picture, this is bringing in steady people saying, I, you know, we've spoken on LinkedIn. I saw you posting on LinkedIn. I know you're selling life insurance. Let's have a conversation.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's, it's oddly pretty steady. Um, there are there's a little science behind it where all uh, certain kinds of posts that may get high engagement and are entertaining those will just will do just that they'll be entertaining and then other posts that get less engagement but like I know before I post that this is an impact post, and it will more likely convert people so when I post a story about someone I know or someone in my family who actually had a story about life insurance that day a couple of people or more will reach out about life insurance because that triggers in their minds to actually take care of it. Mm-hmm. So there's a little science behind it to make it steady, but it thankfully has, has been going pretty steady for a while.
0: Okay. Thank God. <laughs> so I've, I've been noticing that I, I find what, what you post is very creative. And I'm sure if anyone's listening to this, they'll, they're going to go look up Grunhut and, and look through his uh, post history But uh, I see a certain pattern and I tried to, I tried to copy it sometimes successfully and sometimes not successfully, but uh, it seems to be like you have, you have a style and tell me if I'm wrong of, of, um, you know, finding something very relatable by anybody relatable. You know, anyone can relate to this topic that you're you're talking about K cups or whatever it is they're talking about. And then a little line or two at the end, just to remind you that you sell life insurance somehow somehow connected like very uh, like whether whether um a close connection or like a very far off uh random connection <laughs> yeah and then, then, then so you get you know you get entertained and then you also reminded that Moshe sells election insurance is that exactly
1: is that um yeah that that became my style over time it wasn't intentional I started off wanting to be relatable because I just think that's how you get people that's how you draw people in which also assigns to that somewhat where you don't want to make people think too hard, where they have to think back to their childhood for an answer. Um, You want to make it very easy to engage with, or I want to, at least. So I try to do that. And so being relatable is, is a very easy way to do that. And then I also want to mention what I do, because that's the ultimate goal, in a sense, of why I'm active on LinkedIn. So I over time, I guess, fell into that style without realizing. And at a point, there was like, there were some posts that didn't connect back to life insurance. And then a few of my connections would comment, where's the tie-in? Where's the connection to life insurance? And I'd be like, oh, I'm typecast into this role. This is what I got to do. So for a while, I was only doing that. And then I tried going away from that. Now, I, I think I found my own balance of of pretty much doing, you know, a decent amount of posts like that, and then sprinkling in other things, um, but it's it's what I've been doing, and it's what people engage with. So I'll take it.
0: Do you see anybody else on um, on LinkedIn, or I imagine you're not too active in other platforms? But do you see anyone else in the social uh, media world doing this successfully?
1: What's this? I mean, doing
0: using using LinkedIn as a way to get their name out um, through a similar strategy.
1: Yeah, so maybe not exactly the way I post, but when I first went onto LinkedIn, I, lo- I I realized I could do it and learned by observing many other religious people, specifically because I found that that they have a certain balance of being personal but not sharing too much. I, I liked the way they. They showed themselves in public, um, so there were a bunch of people in our community that i that I observed and learned from, and not actively took their styles, but I was influenced by a lot of their styles. Mm-hmm. so m- there are many, many people who are doing exactly the same thing with their own little quirks and styles, but many people are doing this where they build a a presence. Of when people think about certain things they think of them and there's actually been um i've seen posts before and the people will know who they are the ones who posted it where they'll say i'll say say a word in the comments and i'll say you know who i think of and because on linkedin there's so many people we're in different industries you'll say a word and everyone will think of that guy
0: and that's what they're going for they want they want to be associated with you mean a word like a product or a service
1: yeah i'm not going to shout out specifics now because you know out of Risk of leaving out other people, but there are yeah. a bunch of people uh on LinkedIn in the, especially in the Orthodox community, men and women alike, who the, I just think offhand a bunch of them that just think of certain things. I think that
0: okay, and that's what they're that's what they're that's the goal. I see that's what they're trying, that's what they're going for.
1: Yeah, and that's that's not for everyone. Not everyone wants <laughs> that or needs that, but that's that's what I wanted.
0: Okay, Let, let's talk a little bit about life insurance since I'm sure you you know much about it. It's 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 interesting. It's an interesting topic when you get into when you're talking about the somebody who is an Orthodox Jew. I don't like the term Orthodox, but um, someone who's like Torah observant, and they have this the the foundation of everything is understanding that God is in charge and God God decrees who will live and who will die, and it's all you know. And then you have this this um, product that you're selling that protects you in the case that you die. And there's there's a lot, I know there's a lot of halakhic writings, responsa from great rabbis over, I guess, more recent times when life insurance became a thing. How how old is the industry, by the way?
1: Um the, it's hundreds of years old. Mm-hmm. Um and before that there were other forms of it, I believe. Um, you know, if you go back to the Rome, I believe there was some form of, of clubs that were made of people pulling together some risk. Um, but in the the basic sense of in the, the United States, it's about 200 years old, I would say. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Okay. So relatively recent in Jewish history, that's considered recent. Yeah. <laughs> so um, in recent, in more recent times, the, whether it's appropriate or not even to buy life insurance, if that shows a lack of trust in God, what, what's your understanding of this, uh, of this subject and your role in it?
1: So I, I stay away from that part of the conversation, and if and if I talk to someone or someone comes over to me challenging me based on something their rabbi told them or their beliefs, I'm, I can't really fight that. I'm not a I'm not a qualified source when it comes to you know hal- halacha necessarily. I don't think so, or not nearly as much as other areas. So I won't. It's not my place. I'm here to help people who want it. I'm not here to convince people who don't feel like it's the right thing to get, for sure. Uh, but I do believe that currently, um, in the landscape of of the the rabbis who uh, rule on such things, I believe that most of them are in agreement that it actually is a responsibility at this point.
0: So you don't you don't deal with the uh, the whole discussion if there's a challenge. You know that person that person is not interested in in buying from you anyway. So it's not it's not worth your time to. Uh... It's not his.
1: that it's not worth my time. It's it's some people get love the challenge of of you know um, fighting people or um, fighting against rejection and things like that. It's just not the way I designed my business. Um, if someone wants to talk about life insurance, I'll talk to them
0: about it. If they don't, then you know, there's no conversation to be had. Have you been able to help anybody? Um... Have you sold a policy to somebody who unexpectedly, unfortunately, needed it? No.
1: Thank, thank God, none of my clients in two years. Yeah, so no, two <laughs> years is a is a relatively short time. Uh, there are. Uh, I was speaking to someone recently who I think nineteen years in the industry and never has paid out a wow. policy. Wow. So So buy from that guy because he he has some good, some good um spiritual gift to make sure that no one. <laughs> No one needs his services in that sense. Um, but I I hope to never, to never have a payout, which is the term for when an actual policy is exercised. Um, but they do say that it changes your view of the industry. When someone pays their first death benefit from a life insurance policy, they get a new perspective and they feel much more passionate about it because it becomes much more real. So... I don't want to, but there is, you know, people say that it changes their careers when it does happen.
0: Uh, it makes you more passionate about the need for what you're doing. Yeah, it
1: becomes much more real, not just an abstract conversation of,
0: you know, if, if. If, if, if. <laughs> These conversations are funny, I know, because I was I was speaking with somebody once, relatively recently. Sorry, it wasn't you. And, uh, and it, that, that kind of conversation is, you know, nobody ever wants to, in, in the Torah observant world, nobody ever wants to explicitly mention passing away. So everything everything is always God forbid, God forbid, God forbid. You know, <laughs> in those conversations. Those are
1: those are my most used words, pretty much.
0: Right. It's good. It's very good. Um, let me ask you. You you mentioned that you never thought that you were going to go into this industry. So what 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 was it that what was it that you thought you would do when you were maybe in college or before that? And what, what changed?
1: Um, I never had a specific thought of what I would do. I think we all go through those phases of, you know, I want to be an athlete and I want to be something else. uh, Not outrageous for everyone, but outrageous for me. Um, And then there was maybe, you know, the, the lawyer, doctor, accountant, everyone goes through those in their minds. I think like, maybe, maybe I could do that. Uh, But then at one point. So I started doing property management. Um, and I thought that could be something I would do, you know, break into the real estate world a little. Uh, after a year of that, I didn't love it, didn't hate it. So I was just like, sort of lukewarm looking for something else. And then I saw a listing for this. And I, I, you know, threw out a flyer. I was just like, okay, I'll, I'll talk to the guy. So I called them and we set up a Zoom interview. This was two years ago when, when Zoom was first, a little bit first starting out. Um, before the Zoom call, I told my wife, I don't know why I'm doing this. There's no chance I'm actually you know, taking this job. I, I said those words. So, And by the end of the call, I was taking it. So my hiring manager did a really good job of convincing me. Um, what spoke to me was, um, one, I enjoy breaking things down for people. I like taking a, you know, complex topic that other people might find complex. For me, it's not so complex anymore. Um, and I like breaking it down explaining it to them and helping people figure things out. And this was a conversation that I did feel was important, even at that time. And, you know, honestly, the compensation structure also was very good. I liked the projection of the career that it could be for me. Mm -hmm. and so the combination of those those things led me to want to try it Um, additionally it it's a all commission kind of industry for most people so i had one kid and my wife had an income coming in and i was like if i don't start this now um i won't start it in five years from now when i have more responsibilities and other things i don't you know this is the time to start it when And I don't need as much. And it actually was a real advantage for me in the beginning where I was able to be very honest and do the right thing by clients because I didn't need any income in a way. So I was able to just do whatever was right and take whatever
0: income came and not feel pressure to sell. Mm -hmm. I've noticed you've written in the past about how this life of, of sales affords you a lot of flexibility in just in your lifestyle and if you want to go to the to the baseball game you're there and if you want to have a meeting by the baseball game you're there (laughs) and uh you want to you have any comments about about that uh freedom
1: yeah there's two freedoms that the sales life provides for me one is the time flexibility where it's i mean you know, and like you said, it's just I, I love the fact that I can do whatever I want, which not everyone in sales has this. But um, if there's a day I want to just, you know, go on a trip, I go on a trip. I want to go to a, you know, Yankees are playing at one o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday. I can go to that game. Uh, it could really be anything. Of course, there are days where I'm swamped and it's just meeting after meeting and other things. But, you know, doing a podcast interview in the middle of the day. Last week really you were swamped.
0: We, we should have done it last week, but
1: <laughs> right. Um, but but the sales life also gives me like a freedom of really belief. That was like that's what I love about the sales life, where uh, because you're not relying on a paycheck, every day has so much opportunity and potential, and it made me actually believe in God like a lot more because you see you see it so clearly where every day now I, although we most of us do believe that God provides our sustenance knowing every day that that there's like an easy opening for God to provide you know where someone out of the blue can reach out and be a big be a big deal in your life financially knowing that that can happen every single day is what like really calls to me about this sales life mm-hmm.
0: I was just just last week we uh, our our um, our guest was also in sales. He was talking about this. It's interesting, you know. I think this is a concept that's not not so well understood because I think in the world at large, people think that if you either believe in God or you don't believe in God. But in Judaism, it's you you can believe in your head that that God's in charge, and then you can believe in your. Your heart, you can like really get it ingrained right. into yourself more. And the more you live it, the more you really, it becomes real to you. And that's the real, real knowledge is when you come, when you really know something, that's when it's, it's absolutely hundred percent real to you. you right. It?
1: Yeah. <laughs> right. Again, this might not be the, my area of expertise, but you know, this, the sales life has afforded me more of an option to, to believe in both of those ways. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I definitely hear what you're saying.
0: You spent, Moshe, how much time did you spend in the in the world of yeshiva before you went into the workforce? Yeshiva and kolo if there was.
1: So, I mean, from, uh, I grew up in that lifestyle. So from, from a very young age, all through, you know, middle school, elementary, middle, high school, whatever everyone calls them, primary. Um, so high school and then post high school, I was also in the yeshiva world for, Four years, and Probably
0: about twenty-one, twenty-two.
1: Yep. Yeah. yeah. And then I got married around then, and was still. And then I went back. I was living in Israel for about a year after that, also uh, in yeshiva. Mm-hmm. And then when I came back, I I was started looking for work when I came back after that.
0: So around twenty-four years old.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm still, I'm still in the yeshiva world.
0: Okay, you mean um, how is that? Because you spend some time there, you spend some time learning every day.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, it's not something I fully remove myself from. I try not to. Okay. Um, I don't know how deep you want me to get into that, but um, but in the conventional sense, yeah, it's, it was until then at that point.
0: Okay. No, that's let's, let's 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 go there. So you a person who's 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 all day long. Grown up in the system where where you're, you're learning Torah and you're 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 trying to grow in your understanding of Torah and there's and it's an infinite uh, field of, of study there's no there's no end to it you can always understand more and go deeper and understand better so when you have to provide for your family and and go to the workforce so you're, you how do you how do you maintain the connection how do you continue to grow
1: so that I'm sure you know it provides a challenge for a lot of people to find their own balance. And, and place in life. Um, personally, it means setting specific time every day towards studying different areas of the Torah. Um, so that's a big challenge for a lot of people, finding the right time. Personally, I find that the morning is the best because there's no notifications, nothing really to distract me from. So I wake up relatively early. Um, so uh, you know I'm learning early in the morning before there could be any work alerts or anything like that uh other people find time at night i don't it doesn't work for me because i have a hard time you know not being distracted at night and not being tired Uh, but i set aside time each morning in the middle of the afternoon as well to you know to study a little bit and
0: i try to keep a connection in other ways as well and what is it from your your education your background in learning torah that you find is valuable when it comes when it comes to your professional career, most valuable.
1: I think for me, self control um, has it yields a lot of benefits throughout life, which I think a lot of people lose track of it. But if I'm if I control myself in a small area of my life, it manifests into so many different areas. And you become more focused, and you're able to do everything better. Um, so. A lot of Torah study, especially, um, let's say, in the MUSR, which is self-improvement area, um, a lot of that is focused on self-control. And so for me, that impacts me the most, I think, because it it helps me stay focused on every little part of the day. Uh, But that's really very personal. I don't think that applies to everyone.
0: Uh, no, that's good. Do you do you find? I know that a lot of people that go into business for themselves or, um, or a career of sales, they they have trouble managing their time and controlling. You know, there's there's so many distractions that are programmed into the social fabric nowadays. <laughs> and they need there's this whole industry that arose of of executive coaching and just coaching in general, personal coaching. Do you find that you have you had already the the means of self-control where you can schedule, you can you can avoid those distractions with your own strength that you already put within yourself, or, or is it something that you needed to work on yourself? Or do you think that you could really use somebody on top of you uh, showing you how to go?
1: So I'm a pretty disciplined and focused person. So I was, I think I'm able to do that. So I didn't, some people do, they they get a flexible schedule and they, they flail for a while. Um, the beginning was definitely challenging in its own way because it was so different than having a structured job. But, uh, I think I, I naturally have a pretty good sense of, of staying true to the course mm-hmm. somewhat. Um, you know, so I'm able to have the flexibility and, you know, we'll, we'll have up and down time and time where I'm not doing much, you know, productive, but I'm able to stay focused somewhat, uh, I guess based on my natural abilities.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you do you find yourself sometimes in a challenging spot where you have a um, a client, a, a prospective client? You're already talking with them, and you could you have their total attention. They trust you. You built up trust, and you could sell them something that they don't really need. And <laughs> you're held you're held back because you have a, you have a conscious that it probably comes from your. Um, you know comes from your sense of of right and wrong that you that you got you, know, you get from learning to and, and, and thinking and t- you know praying and thinking about god do you do you find that that challenge happening sometimes
1: so are you asking about them wanting something that i don't think is good for them or me having the opportunity to sell something to them?
0: I was really asking about the second one you have you have a, you could sell them a policy that's x amount that is really like bonus plus plus. And they'd be, you know, maybe that's, that's going to strain their, their monthly budget and it's not really what they need for their family, you know, but, but it helps you get a bigger commission.
1: Right. Uh, no, it's a real question for anyone in this industry and other industries. I'm sure. I, I don't have a big challenge of that. I don't, I don't think so. At least um, I can attribute that, you know, maybe to Torah studying, maybe my, my natural abilities, my family, I'm sure had a big impact on that. I, honesty was a big part of who I am since I was really little. So I don't, I haven't really run into that issue where, I mean, I'm not, I I try not to think along those lines of how much more can I get someone to buy? You know, we really try to work through what they would need. If someone wants something specifically that I don't think is the right thing for them, then I can present my thoughts. But if someone wants it, I'm, I'm not going to stop them actively.
0: Got it. Do you ever find in in the professional in your professional career as a life insurance agent that um, a conflict that's especially difficult to to manage that between your religious values and and whatever's going on in in that interaction?
1: I can't think of any right now. Um, do you have any specific areas in mind?
0: I'm thinking uh, this probably is not. Uh, relevant to you because you you started in the when when Zoom was exploding, and I'm sure most of your meetings are are, um, are virtual. But there's this contact between the sexes that that a lot of people have to deal with in the work world. That in general, you know, uh, Tor observant men don't touch women, and women don't touch men. And there's the handshake, the business handshake. That's uh, that's. Did you do you have to deal with this sometimes? No, so I,
1: I don't because as you mentioned, I've been I, I'm almost exclusively Zoom now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So. I don't deal with it in that, and within my own office, uh, I don't go in very often because I, I work from home because of the Zoom nature of my business. Right. Um, so I don't deal with it much, but I I mean, being active on social media definitely presents the same kinds of challenges in its own way, Yeah, and it's definitely something that people have to be, you know, I have to be aware of.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know. I understand what you're saying. Okay, Moshe, this is great. Ooh, is there anything that you you hoped I would ask that I didn't ask?
1: Mm, no, I feel like I should have a good answer to that, but I don't.
0: That's fine. <laughs> it's okay. Let me ask you. You you mentioned you mentioned that honesty it was a very important aspect in your family growing up, and so it's not a challenge for you. Although there's, there might be a natural challenge that you might sell somebody something based on your own interests and not based on their best interests. So can you give me an example of, of, or can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing that brings that point home?
1: I don't know if I have any specifics. It's it's actually funny. I think it's, you know how recently it's become more common to say that, you know, labeling is disabling or or telling a kid that they're bad at something like, oh, you uh, i am not good at math or I'm good at this like it it ends up um manifesting based on that, right If you tell a kid they're not good at math or they're they're only good at artistic kind of things, then they become that so it could be that from a young age, I remember always being truthful and being told that I was truthful, mm-hmm. so maybe it just really like it became a responsibility for me to upkeep that, which is actually a good lesson just to you know drill into kids good things so that they'll actually come back. But I don't know if I have any specifics. I mean, there were definitely times where I could have lied as a kid to avoid getting in trouble, and I didn't. Uh Not to throw my siblings under the bus, but not all of them did the same.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Okay, I think that is. Oh, I'm remembering one last question. That is that I find uh, observing what you're doing on LinkedIn, which is really how I found you as well. Of course, um, I find that you you seem to have a knack at. At, cre- at creative approach like creative diff- looking at, at looking at life at different angles finding the the post worthy episodes that are happening all around you and whether personal or what you're observing other people um, where and and i i know i want to keep the awareness of of what i'm doing um with, what the podcast fellowship is doing on on linkedin and and some things fall flat and some things take off and I, i'm always curious about the creative process and what what is, what is your process? Do you, do you have a notebook where you jot down ideas about things that are noteworthy to talk about and develop later? Or or does it, is it just, do you have a time designated for posting where you try to just, try to try to just like summon up the creative juices? What, yeah, it's, a, it's a
1: good question. And I, everyone has their own systems, I think. But um, a lot of people do it similar to what I do. So what I do is whenever I have any inkling of an idea for a post, any little thing, uh, let's say I'm talking to a client and they mention something that I think I can, you know, post about or, you know, a, a cute little story that happens to me or just, oh, I can ask people what their favorite whatever is, right? Which a lot of my posts will do. What's your favorite food? What's your favorite that? Which is very innocent in a way. Um, I'll write, I'll jot that down in a note in my phone. And so I have a, probably 15, 20 ideas in a note. Um, of different ideas. And then there will be times where I'll sit down and I'll look at those notes and say, okay, let me, what can I, what can I take and create a post based on that? And sometimes I'll sit and look at the list and say, these are all terrible. Uh, and then, But I'll usually leave them there for a while. And then the next day I can sit down and all of them can be amazing. So if I'm in a creative mode, I'll be able to write up a bunch of posts from those potentially uh, but many times I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll write one up, I'll have some time, I'll write one post up, I don't have a set time for writing up the posts. But whenever I have some time, and I'm able to focus on it, I try to, you know, expand them into a full post. Um, but it's, it's a challenge for everyone. I over time, it got a little simpler for me, it's still not easy, I wouldn't say it's like easy to just come up with things. But I think the process, I, I've gotten used to the process of translating life events into potential posts um especially the tying it into life insurance that became i could i could probably do it to anything at this point it's <laughs> the sickness i have but um that it, it took time but that i became get, your brand that became what we what yeah we it did become my good brand. Had
0: is, how, how is this going to connect to life insurance for, for
1: better or worse that became <laughs> my brand
0: it's, it's always very entertaining and we appreciate it. So uh, keep it up and, uh, and it's, it's great to see you're innovating and helping a lot of people, of course, with the life insurance, helping people with what, what they need. And I really, uh, I wanna give you, a, a, I wanna bless you that you should have as much success as that guy who had was gone 19 years and hasn't had to do a payout. Just as I'm speaking, sorry, <laughs> new, new questions pop into my head as I'm talking. Uh, if, if there is a payout, God forbid, the the insurance agent. What's his involvement in in that? His or her involvement in that payout? Uh,
1: like, did, pro, like as far as the process goes.
0: Yeah, is there? A pro, does the? How does the insurance agent pay, pay play a role in that?
1: So they're usually the the middle the middleman. So um, if there's no agent, then it can still be done, but it will take longer and it's harder to do, and you're going to be calling call centers and
0: uh-huh. you
1: know, probably being on hold and things like that. The real benefit of having a real person is that they're they cut between that. Um, but the it, agents take pride in in being a part of that. Um, speaking to many people in the industry who have been for a long time and paid dozens, hundreds of payouts. Um, it's it's the most impactful parts of their jobs. And so they take a real pride in, in delivering those you know, checks, but not anymore used to be actually delivering checks. But now they'll you know, they'll talk to the family, try to make sure that they get whatever information is necessary um, to to quicken the process as much as possible. Um, and they'll do whatever they can to make sure it gets paid out as quick as possible. Uh-huh.
0: So you're interacting, your your job is to, you're, you're trained in that as well?
1: So no, they don't actively, tra- they, uh, a little bit, they do tell us, but I, like it doesn't happen that often, you know, sales happens every day. Yeah. Even people who have a lot of payouts, it doesn't happen that often. Um, if I did, God forbid, have to deal with that, the first thing I would do would be to call people who have dealt with it and find okay. out exactly what to do. Probably even bring one along um, just to make sure I'm not doing anything wrong. You know, bring them along the process. Um, but we have, you know, the benefit of this industry is there's so many people that have done it for so long where you can draw upon those resources very easily.
0: Mm-hmm. And they're willing to share their expertise with you.
1: Well, well, yeah. I mean, even as far as sales goes, they would. But this, there's no loss in helping someone deliver a, a payout. There's no, there's no money involved as far as the insurance agents go.
0: Right. It's just a, an, it's an investment of their time and their, they're, They have to give their some of their care and, yeah, <laughs> love and attention. <laughs> so they're willing to do that. They're they're ready to help you on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm I'm lucky that I know a lot of people who would. But I think there's there's a lot of good people in every industry who are willing to help newer people. Mm-hmm.
0: Very good. Okay, Moshe, is there any party message? I said I asked all the questions that you could think of. I should ask, um, what would you tell? This might be a hard one to answer. <laughs> what would you tell? Here we have the podcast fellowship is is um, is meeting Jewish students all over the world, and their their education is very different. Their Jewish their Jewish experience is very different from yours um many of them had no jewish education many of them did have something that like up until 13 you know bar bat mitzvah and then and then you know were left to their left on their own to discover whatever they want in their adult their you know their adult lives um any message about judaism about real about torah about relating to the creator that you that you feel you can you can give over
1: okay that's, that's a big fine. question so again not Matt, I'm not the greatest source necessarily for these things. I'm sure you are a much better source for that. But something that I've been recently telling myself that I, I think can apply to anyone is a lot of times we, we have moments of inspiration where, you know, I won't do this certain thing because I, I feel like I shouldn't, or I should do something because I feel like it's the right thing to do. But then there's that voice in our head that goes, yeah, but that's not me. Because I've always done this, or I always haven't done it. And so within a half a second, you're back to, okay, never mind. And it's a natural thing that a lot of us go through, um, no matter where you are, in the religious spectrum, or, you know. And so recently, I've been trying to drill that into myself, where, you know, just because I did a certain thing last week, and I might even do it next week, doesn't mean I should do it this week, if I feel like it's the right thing to do. Um, so I think everyone can really apply that. And then that sort of leads into not judging others, because if if I can do something last week and this week uh, and last week and next week, not feel like doing it this week, other people are doing that as well in their heads. So we can't really judge what other people are, are or aren't doing because we don't know where they're, where they're holding in their own minds. But that's just something I've been ruminating recently.
0: And even if you see, if you have a you have a picture of somebody in your head, they're not necessarily going to be that way tomorrow. Right. If they can make a choice that, that says... And the
1: picture in our head is most probably wrong. That too.
0: <laughs> Very good. Okay, Moshe, thank you so much for your time. And if somebody wants to find you, they should look up Moshe Grunhut. The right. name is, uh, is right there on the Zoom. They can, all the spelling, they can find you on LinkedIn. That's the best way to connect with you?
1: I believe so. Yeah, LinkedIn is i'll answer pretty fast
0: okay excellent amazing thank you so much
1: thank you so much for having me it's a real pleasure
0: yeah you should be very successful and should have uh always have what you need and be able to help a lot of people i mean
1: thank you and you too you should continue to be able to you know inspire people through a lot of different methods it seems um you know ways that most of us would never even think of so it's pretty speaking of creative right
0: yeah, all made thank you so much you've just listened right. to another great episode of Our Tribe the Podcast brought to you by the Podcast Fellowship and hosted by Rabbi Tovia Kopstein tune in each week every Wednesday at 1pm Eastern Time to hear more great episodes of Our Tribe the Podcast if you have any suggestions or questions email us at org, and don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to help the tribe thrive